I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of Interviews with the CEO. I was delighted to get the opportunity to interview two-time Olympian Johnny Davis about his own journey through fencing and his hopes and ambitions for the future in his role as British Fencing's Olympic team manager. The story of a young lad, not even in the top 200 of the senior rankings, who moves from Belfast to London and then on to Germany to pursue his Olympic dreams is filled with fascinating insights, with great advice for any fencers aspiring for similar success and the parents and coaches that support them. We also get the chance to talk about some of the areas that Johnny will be focusing on as part of British Fencing's plans to support the next generation of Olympians in fencing. Two-time Olympian, Johnny Davis. Hello, Georgina. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to having a chat. Excellent. Thank you very much, Johnny, for giving us your time today. So I've got a lot of questions which I have collected from various members of our community tonight. So our first question is, when did you first develop an interest in fencing and where and when did you start? I was one of those young boys who was lucky enough just to do lots of sport. And I, my my memories of being at that age, I'm talking kind of 10, 11, was just endlessly riding bikes and and actually falling out of trees and playing football and various things. And uh, by chance, my dad was transferred from what was a, a dormitory town in Northern Ireland, a place called Dungannon, um, rural area, into Belfast. And the school that I ended up going to had fencing which was a complete chance. So, you know, the chances of me ending up having had the fantastic and really enjoyable journey I've had in, in fencing was complete chance. So I, I kind of, I saw fencing at school uh, when I was in first year of senior school, kind of 11, 12. And I don't know, just something about it. I, I thought this is, I said, tried lots of what I just thought this is really interesting. And uh there's something about the noise and the movement and the, the you could scream and shout. It just looked really fascinating. And thinking back to those times, if you think about your experience and your earliest memories, what are your overriding memories about fencing? I just, there's, there's, for me, there's a lot of the sensations of it. It's um, You're given the opportunity to run around with a piece of metal in your hand and attack people and then learn how to defend yourself. It's very visceral and it's very real and very pure. Obviously, you know, it's, it's moved on from the days when we did try to kill each other, but I just love the, the purity of the combat. You know, this is a combat sport. It's a combat sport which is guarded by rules for all the right reasons, for you know, we treat each other with respect, but we're also allowed to inhabit a space whereby we can go back. I, I, I kind of really believe in the, the nature of us as beings, that we are built to, to run and jump and do all that stuff and compete. And I think maybe I've missed a, a, a part of development where I still hunters and gatherers and, and out fighting the beast to provide for the family. Somewhere in all of that, it just kind of it brings all of that to surface for me in a really, really good way. So if you think back, you started out as a young school kid, Belfast, and how old were you? Um, well, actually, when I started fencing, I was probably 12. I didn't really focus. Again, I was lucky enough to be good at a couple of sports. I had football trials and I had a lot of running and I, I was captain of the hockey team and various bits and pieces. So I kind of, you know, just that whole debate about should you should you focus early or should you try lots of things? Um and actually, it was when I was about, 
I think I've entered my first fencing competition probably when I was about 13 or 14 and actually won that. And what that meant was that meant that rather than having to wait until you were 17 or 18 to go to a competition in England with a rugby team or the hockey team, you could actually go to go to fence in London and you know as soon as you as soon as you kind of got to that stage. So at 13, I was able to go on a trip to London. And that's another part of this whole journey of fencing. I've traveled the world and it's just phenomenal meeting people. Uh, and that that was a big attraction. I thought, oh, this is all right. You turn up, you win the competition, you get, you know, you get a nice plaque with a nice medal and you get to go to fence in London. Go, okay, that's all right. I'll do me for a starting point. So without without commenting on your age there, Johnny, I think it is worth saying for our younger listeners that um, you know, a, a number of years ago, making that journey to London as a 13-year-old must have been quite something for both for you and, and your family. Yeah, it was. I, you know, we, we talk a lot about with the, with the guys in the senior team, the Olympians, a lot about who's in your team, who's your support structure. I was really lucky. I had a mum and a dad who kind of just treated me uh, with a lot of trust and let me make my own mistakes you know growing up in Belfast in those days again for our younger listeners was a pretty dark place it, you know it was there was a lot of trouble going on and you learned to be very streetwise. my school was right in the center of Belfast there was a lot of bombings and things going on so actually you grew up really quickly and I there's something about that first trip to London and you went with the older boys and there's all the stuff that, you know, school kids do with each other and the banter and the various things. And, you you know, the, the, our school was very much the, the master in charge, kind of just let us get on with it. And that was a wonderful sense of freedom. And I, if I jump forward three or four years and I remember going to my parents when I was, I think, 16 or 17, and again, you know, when the Eastern Bloc was happening and they said, well, you know, what are you doing for the summer? I'm going to go to Hungary. Where, where are you going to Hungary for? I'm going to go to a fencing camp for three weeks. How are you getting there? I don't know. I think I'll probably get a train to London and I'll get a train from London to Hungary and then I'll come back in three weeks. And, you know, I went and I did that and there was no phone. There was, I don't know, did I have any money? How did I do that? I don't really remember. Uh, so, you know, it kind of, that was the start of a journey uh, uh, which, again, at the bigger picture of what we do, you know, embrace the journey. This is phenomenal. You get a chance to to travel, meet people, learn about yourself, learn about other people um, while competing in this amazing sport of ours. And it sounds like your parents certainly trusted you an awful lot to let you go on on that journey to Hungary. And I, I think that certainly speaking for myself as well, that that was a, a key part of, of how I grew into the athlete that I was in fencing because you get to be independent and resilient in a way that it's very tough if your parents are always with you. Absolutely, yeah. My my mum and dad, you know, they they were, I, you know, they were very proud of what I achieved, and and you know, they my, they was kind of classic family where you know there, there wasn't an awful lot of celebration and praise, but everyone was very happy, and we kind of got on with it. Um, you know, that that certainly, I remember, I always remember walking back in. You know, been away for the three weeks, and to say, you know, I've just been to this in those days. Again, for younger listeners, it was like going to the Eastern Bloc was, oh, my goodness, will you ever come back? You know, what will they do to you? There was all this this paranoia. And I remember kind of walking back in and my dad was probably sitting having his dinner or whatever, and his tea, and he looked up and he went, hello. And I went, hi, yeah, yeah, you OK? Yeah, all right, no problem. That was kind of, but within that, I knew that there was lots of support and they'd facilitated that. And so, so along the journey, there was a, it's knowing, I think, as a parent of two, two grown-up kids, it's knowing you have the support there. 
but also it's really important to let the young person grow and for them to know that it, that you give them permission to grow. And, and, and the, the environment within sport, in particular the combat sport, is really challenging, but it's a huge opportunity for growth. You know, meeting other people actually, you know, met my wife on that trip, would you believe, all those years ago, who she t- you know, went on to be an Olympian as well, Katie Fenced in, in for Great Britain. So, you know, the, the op- there's a perfect opportunity. You know, at 17, you jump on a train and you go across Europe. How do you get there? How do you get back? You meet somebody who a few years later you end up marrying. It's kind of, it's, it's magical. It's absolutely magical. But, you know, eyes open, embrace the journey, listen, learn. I've met some of the people I met on that trip, I will still go and stay with in Hungary. So we would compete against each other ruthlessly over those years. But um, I would still, when I go to Budapest, which I do regularly, I will go and stay with them. I think that's a really lovely aspect of, of the sport that we do and the fact that there is this family that you create around yourself, this virtual family of fencers from around the world. Yeah, this is a big fencing family. This is a, you know, we, we go to competitions and we complete ruthlessly. But, you know, I'm exchanging messages with the head of the Italian team, the head of the French team, the head of the Russian team, because everyone's kind of checking in with each other. So there's something within this whole travel piece, within the confines of knowing it is OK to do everything within the rules to beat the person at the other end using your physical and mental skills, but actually do it with respect, with honesty uh, and and. There's something about that as a life lesson, which is absolutely invaluable. If you could box, put that into a box and put it into schooling, it teaches us a lot about learning about ourselves, learning about others and how we interact with other people in the world. I think that's absolutely spot on, Johnny. So thinking back to your journey to becoming such an amazing athlete, we've talked about the support that your parents have given you. We've talked a little bit around the elements of your mindset that contributed to your success. But do you want to talk to us a little bit more about the barriers? Because I think they're always really instructive. So what barriers did you feel that you really had to work to overcome to get international success? Um, well, well, interestingly, again, given uh, you know, when I, I moved to England when I was 18 to go to college and to be honest, I kind of went once Jemek uh, Wojciechowski had just arrived in the country. So I had originally was going to go to Loughborough to do sports science and then Jemek arrived and I thought, oh, that's that's the one for me. Um, Taking a jump back, the vision around the Olympics as well was I saw uh, Dame Mary Peters. I'd had an accident. I was lying in the hospital when I was 11 or 12 and I saw Mary win her gold medal and something in me said, I want to do that. And I hadn't really started fencing at the time, but something sparked that connection. I can can see the black and white TV in the hospital. I think I want to do that. So that was something in that sparked that whole whole desire and, and, and challenge to do that. So I was, there I was, I was in Belfast. I didn't ever actually have any coaching uh, until, regular coaching until I was, until I moved to England. So we had um, once, for, so for the first five years, six years of my career, all that happened was the older boys taught the younger boys. So it was pretty agricultural what we did. And it came back to, you know, rules of engagement were never lose a fight because you're not fit enough, never lose a hit because your equipment doesn't work because you control those bits. All these lovely moves that people did in England, they kind of go, well, how do we work out to do that, let alone what they did in France and elsewhere? So the first bit was to get myself into, to learn how to cope with those those fencers who were training 
harder than me. So London was like this amazing mecca of, wow, these guys have clubs and they have coaches. And like, so what, you've got your own coach and they coach you like three nights a week. God, could you imagine? Whereas we were kind of digging away at each other in the club, trying to work out what a one-two was and a power pass. So you were just watching it in real time. So that was a challenge, but it was also taught me to be observant and watch and see. So no one was was telling me how to do it and no one was really instructing. We were literally making it up as we went along. And then in about, nine, probably in about 17, Mike Westgate um, started to come over to Northern Ireland once a month or once every six weeks. So that was the point. Wow, this was coaching. I, I used to, I remember Mike used to, I got my parents, you know, Mike would come and stay with us and we'd collect them from the airport. And he would say to me, what time's training start tomorrow? I said, oh, it starts at half nine. We get there at half nine. Didn't actually start till 10. So and, but he, you know, I said, oh, well, no one's here. Can we have a lesson, please? So get me my lesson there to begin with. And then what time's it finished? I get my mum to come at five when actually training had finished at four. So get, oh, well, Mike, we're here. Can we have another lesson? So just trying to always get that little bit extra, trying to get that little bit more. Um, and then it was, so that was the, the first challenge was just to be able to compete on a level playing fields with these guys who, who were getting more opportunities than me. I didn't actually go abroad for the first time. I went to one, I was only ever selected for one junior competition. So, you know, this whole thing about development, um, I went to one junior competition and made a final, and that was the only under-20 trip I ever had. So I was a late starter, late flourisher, but actually, uh, and the guys probably who were in the squad with me at the time, I kind of very much put a number on each of their backs when I arrived. I said, right, I'm going to pick you off first, then I'm going to pick you, then I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to try and get in the team ahead of you all, and then I'm going to try and be Olympic champion. So so as those, those kind of, maybe those barriers are unique, but I suspect not. I suspect if there's somebody sitting just outside of the squad or outside of the team at the minute that they're trying to get into, it's exactly the same thing. So work out you know, what you're good at, make that even better. Those non-negotiables, don't ever lose because you're not fit enough. Don't ever lose because you haven't prepared your equipment or, or just getting yourself ready for a competition. And then just constantly learn, constantly learn and evolve. And I suspect those barriers, when I then moved to Germany later in my career, it was the same sort of thing. I moved to a club which had five Olympic gold medalists and it was the same thing. Oh, how am I going to be as good as these guys? What do they do that I don't do? So there were, there were a number of barriers there. The geographical piece living in Northern Ireland certainly was a problem until I moved to London. When I moved to London then, it was, I was, I'd gone from kind of being top of the pile in Northern Ireland to being very much bottom of the pile. And it was, you know, at that stage, I couldn't get a lesson off of Jermac. I couldn't, none of the older, the, the, the more established fences would fence me. So I went through that probably for six, seven months and then just gradually picked my way through. So those were great lessons at the time. It, they, they weren't, they didn't feel great, but, um, you know, I kept getting knocked down and you keep coming back, keep getting knocked down. And then, you know, when you suddenly you're standing, you beat one of those people who has maybe blocked your way. Great. Okay. That's you out of the way. Who's next? So yeah, barriers, but, but barriers are the opportunities. I think it's very much how, how one looks at them. I think what I'm also hearing, Johnny, is your resilience really coming through loud and clear here because you talk with such passion and dedication about your journey. And there's a lot for younger athletes, as you say, who've living perhaps, um, you know, not living in London, their access to training is also limited. 
Um, their access to coaching is limited. It might not be as frequent as, as other fencers living in London. So there's a lot in what you're saying there, which hopefully other young fencers around the country can take some heart from and realise that with a bit of passion and dedication that they too can rise to the top of the sport. Well, I certainly, and I think the advantage that, that, that the younger or the current anyone in sport at the minute has, you can go, I can go online as I do regularly and watch lessons, watch fights, watch, you know, the analysis can be done. So that's, you know, so we literally, I would have to try and make notes and learn in a competition while I was fencing and try and remember bits and then go back and get one of the older guys to be a pin cushion so I could try this, you know, this beat director, this beat one, two or whatever it was. It's all there. You can see it all strength and conditioning. We just kind of made it up as we went along. You know, we lifted this and we carried that and we jumped here and we jumped there. So in terms of getting to, you know, the, the, that level playing field, it's all there. And, you know, attitude wise, I, I my, remember my grandfather said to me, you know, he was a he was a hard working farmer and he just always finished tasks off. And he said, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And, you know, what we're asking of our athletes, of the, our coaches, of our parents this is a hard environment. This this journey is a hard journey that we're asking them. We're asking them to bear their souls. We're asking them to to, to physically push themselves to the limit. We're asking them to spend money to to you know potentially juggle a lot of different parts of their life. So, kind of if you're going to do it, why would you not do it properly? And the you know, big message is that of what you and I and, and the team are trying to bring to to our, our younger fencers and I think we're illustrating it with with some of the results we're getting with the older fencers is there are people there who can help we're here to help you this you know we we exist as British fencing for the fencers so our we want to do everything we can we don't get it right all the time but you know if there's if there's something we can help with and the relationship with coaches you know let's all push each other and learn more about what we can do and we have to be resilient it, it is when you're standing on the pace against the Russian, the Italian, whoever, it's a combat sport. They want to beat you before you beat them. That's fine. That Those are the rules of engagement. Let's not pretend it's any other way. So knowing that, if we go right back to, do you know what? They're going to kill you or you're going to kill them. But what mindset do you need to have then? And and, and I, I to me, that's a, I don't understand where that's a problem. I think it challenges our our commitment and it makes potentially if we're not really committed it potentially exposes us but that's fine because if we if we're not honest that way we'll get found out another way so finding the key to your commitment talking to the team around you and making you know doing everything you can to make that journey as successful and as enjoyable as possible why would you not do that absolutely and it would be really interesting to hear some of your reflections having come back into the sport now in a different role as the Olympic team manager as to how much has changed and developed when you look at fencing uh, across all the weapons in that period. Yeah, it, it was. I So I kind of after uh, my second Olympics, I was going to go for a third Olympics. For some reason, I've, I thought I'd like to do three, but um 
I, I didn't get selected for the first one I thought I should have been selected for. So that was fine because that gave me a reason to be angry with everyone for about 12 years. So that kept me going. But I, I then didn't go for the, the uh, what would have been the third one um, because I'd given up work. So I'd gone to live in Germany. Um, Katie had stayed in London. We were married. So we you know, stayed. Did, I, I saved up as much money as I could. So I suppose um, in terms of what had changed is really interesting. So the guys, so the world-class program has been um, a great thing and a terrible thing in the sense that it's brought money in. And then unfortunately for the moment, money has gone out. The reason when I was asked to take on the role, I felt comfortable with was because I have been through the journey of doing it with no money. So I gave up work. I, that year, I remember in Germany, I was there for two years, but I remember spending 25,000 pounds in the second year. So that was back in 92. So whatever that cost, whatever it cost me in my career, so on and so forth, all stuff I chose to do. So it's not a hard luck story. That's what it was. So when I came back into the sport, um, it was it, the, the, the senior fencers had been on the program. The money had gone. So there was a lot of a lot of confusion is the best way I would call it. A lot of emotion, a lot of a lot of concern as to how it moved forward. So that that piece actually hasn't changed. It's come full circle. So I first. I remember coming back from getting my third, first last 32 in a World Cup and being handed a cheque for £25 at the airport. That was my, that was my bonus for getting a last 32 in, in Paris. So, you know, th- th- there's, that bit makes me feel comfortable in terms of how I can, how I can uh, talk to the fencers who are, are, who are struggling financially. The sport, uh, the, the actual uh, structure, or the actual uh, competition, turn, the, the tournament structure, sorry, had changed. We had, first World Cup I went to, we had six rounds of pools before we got to the last 48. Six rounds, yeah. So you started at seven in the morning. You weighed you through. Where well, this was in Paris, it just seemed to go on forever. Then you got to the last 48. So every pool three went up, and then you got to the last 48, and from that four went up, and that got you to a 32. If you made the 32, that then was the next day, and there was repechage. So that was to 10 hits. So that went on for forever. So that finished probably about the same time, five or six. So there was a, there was a very different, there's the sport, um, the stamina required, the ability, you know, that do a pull stop, do another pull stop, do another pull stop, do another, you know, even saying it wears me out. So the, so there's a, there was a different, um, a slightly different, I would, I would argue we were probably fitter in a stamina sense, maybe not as powerful. So the change, what was really good about the change of bringing in the, the uh, direct elimination, no repechage was back in the day, the cheating of the referees was terrible. You know, it, it was it was totally corrupt and they addressed that, the FI addressed that and that, it's a much better world now. So uh, for young fencers, you, you know, you, you really at the minute, uh, it's very fair compared to what it was. So that was very that was a big change and that was a relief because that we we as a smaller nation constantly got um, the wrong end of refereeing decisions. So it's great to see that there's less of that happening at the minute, albeit that I would argue that it's not perfect science just yet. So the preparation, the the I'd say the this the sport that I came back into was particularly I'm talking men's foil primarily much less classical much less logical in right of way in terms of who you know what was a what was a sequence we would have very much had been taught in sequences of events classical um the counteractions uh cutting distance became much more relevant when i was in germany the koreans started training with us 
and that was the, and the Chinese had just started to come through. And that point, you could see the future of the sport, the speed. You know, they were so fast and so physical. They trained three times a day. They were absolutely, you know, wonderful uh, in, in wonderful shape as athletes. Tactically, not quite there, but that they've obviously addressed that over time. So the speed, uh, I'd say, we're much more of a power sport, power sport now than than we were. So the stamina piece is different. The format of the competitions is different. Um, the there's been a change. We would have had East Germany, Cuba, uh, Hungary. Those countries would have been stronger. They've either no longer exist or have have fallen by the way and have been replaced by, say, Hong Kong, Korea. So the really the number of strong nations is pretty much the same. Um, and as a sport, I think it's a. I don't know if it's, it's quite as beautiful as it was as as you know seeing. The, the generation I grew up with, classical Russians. Uh, you see, you see, I have to interrupt and interject there. I actually find some of the modern fencing, and by modern I mean current fencing, as supposed to maybe 20 years ago when I did it, unbelievably beautiful to watch because, as you say, of that additional power and the and the flair that that brings with it. Yeah, I agree. No, I'm not sorry. I, I'm not saying that it isn't a beautiful spectacle. Somebody actually asked me on one of those online quizzes, "What is the sport you would pay to watch?" And I actually said fencing because it is. It's beautiful. It's aesthetic. It's it's all of those things. There was just there was something about the, uh, the the conversation I would call it about fencing back in the days of of just geniuses like Romain Goff and Smirnov. But you know, I'm I'm sounding like an old man saying, "Wasn't the world better then?" It is a beautiful. Uh, a spectacle as it is at the minute. Um, I just I think foil is becoming more beautiful. It's going back to much more of the classical style. You know, the lessons I watch now, I feel I could I I, I do coach. I coach quite a few kids, and what I teach I feel is relevant now. Um, it uh, hopefully have evolved over time. So it, it as a sport as well has become a, a world sport. There were um, in. There were, you know, a lot more smaller countries, if we if we're okay to call them that, coming through. I think the FIE has done a fantastic job in spreading, spreading the net around the world. Um, the level of professionalism that I went looking for in Germany, and which I saw in Poland and Hungary and various other countries, I trained, is just a given now. So whether you're funded or you're not funded, you have to be committed in your lifestyle. You have to be a focused athlete. You have to be fit. You have to prepare you have to eat drink you have to you have to have your 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 support services around you so you know if you take a if you take a last 64 to world cup in epi it's probably even broader in men's foil i would say to make a last 64 which is is where i would say you know if somebody's making last 64s regularly they can start calling themselves a world-class fencer um that's the kind of starting point for that entry into that club there are probably, if you go to a World Cup in, say, in Bonn, there were 220 fencers. There's probably 100 there who can make that 64. So that's a big, big pool, maybe even more than that. So over the season, those the, the unique entry, the, the, the number of times each in, each a different fencer has made a 64, it's quite a broad group. Now, when you get, as in any sport, you get to the top eight regularly, the 16s, the 32s, maybe less. But in the 64s, if you take that... There are, say, 10 full-time nations each turning up with 12 athletes. And then there are probably another 10 nations who have six full-time athletes. It's a lot of absolutely wonderfully prepared um, athletes vying for 
a very limited number of spaces. Absolutely. It's very, uh, as you say, much harder these days with so many more professional athletes across so many more countries. I think the difference, I would argue that uh, there was a greater gap between those who knew and those who didn't know. So the Soviet bloc, um, they, you know, we, they were all full time. And then the French, the Italians, the, the, the other Western European powerhouses were full time from the beginning. I think we at that time in Britain were very much in the dark ages and we were making it up as we went along, which why you know, the results were still were still good. The, you know, it's not that far off a lot of what's happened. Now, every so often we throw up an amazing result. We just didn't have the consistency. And in team events, we always ended up kind of just one you know, in the Olympics, we it was the, the old system of uh, you, each fence had four fights and we lost, I think, nine, seven to Cuba, who were third. And we lost five fights, five, four. And we lost eight all to Hungary. And we lost four fights, five, four. So we're always just close, but not close enough. Um, and I think that, that that gap has has shrunk a little bit because um, in understanding what it is to be a fully prepared international fencer, we now know what those things to do. So whether you're in Czech Republic and you're Israel or you're in France or you're in Russia, everyone kind of knows what's required. And, and also the proliferation of coaches, you know, Jemek arriving and Tomek arriving in Great Britain, it's great fanfare because we had these international coaches coming in. Whereas if you look now, the transfer of knowledge is, you know, if we take our young, young athletes um, and we look at the nationalities, of the coaches they have access to, it's absolutely phenomenal. And that, that that transfer of knowledge is just something that as a young fencer, I would have loved to have access to. So moving on a little bit and putting on your hat as a coach, which I know you do spend some of your time coaching young athletes, although I'm not entirely sure where you find the time for, for all the work that you do in fencing. What would you say that you've, when you take everything from your competitive fencing career and you on a, a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning or of an evening down the club and you're coaching young fencers, what would you say is the overriding experience that you're trying to give them? I want to help them. Uh, I want to help them grow as, as young people. I think that's it. I, I, I want to challenge them um, and I want to have them enjoy themselves. And I think, it's somehow accessing the emotional intelligence and resilience to understand that a challenge is is an opportunity. So to be able to afford them a, a kind of a landscape whereby they can experience a lot. It's all about experience. You know, it's about having experiences, learning from those experiences, good and bad, is how we learn about ourselves as human beings. You know, Sport is a metaphor for life. It's you know, absolute cliche, but it's true. So the highs, the lows. You know, I have had some absolute desperate lows when I just wanted the the ground to swallow me up and, and never. You know, I used to do a thing. Every fight I had, I'd write down in training and competition three things I did well, one thing I would like to do better. And I remember one competition I went to, and the only thing I could find to write down I did well was I got to the venue. And I literally couldn't find anything else because I was so poor. But then, you know, it, I, I, you learn and you develop from that. So I just want them to have a, an experience where I also want them to be curious. I think we need to, at the minute in the world, young people can know everything but know nothing. So I want them to be curious and to 
to extend themselves and to ask questions and be confident in asking questions, be confident around people of different ages, people of different races, people of different cultures and sport. When you, when you enter a fencing hall, it should be a safe environment where it's okay to be challenged, it's okay to challenge others, it's okay to, to grow and develop, it's okay to, to beat people, but understand you do it not at their expense, but to help you grow and you're, you're magnanimous and you're fair in, in beating others. So there's a lot of stuff around. They, I want them to be champions. Of course I do. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. And when I'm in the environment with athletes, I, I believe they understand that everything I'm doing is for their good. But I will challenge them. We will have harsh words. We will push each other. But ultimately, I hope that at the end of it, anyone who I who crossed my path within the coaching or the, the management role understands that what we're trying to do is just help them on the journey and there's a lot of stuff around athlete welfare there's a lot of stuff which is absolutely paramount um i would argue that a successful athlete is a happy athlete and i think if we can help them be successful then we can unpack a lot of stuff on that journey and that does take me back to some of the your earlier points that you made around the um sort of supportive attitudes of your parents and the sense that i get that they weren't uh, you know, first on the phone or first at the door saying, did you win? Did you win? Did you win? And they were, they really provided that platform to allow you to grow and develop your passion for the sport, which then subsequently allowed you to become so successful. Yeah. I, I just, it used to be really interesting because my, my dad was a classic Northern Ireland dad. I know he loved me, but you know, we didn't kind of say, Hey dad, I love you. you know, I, and we love each other. I'd probably do more of that. My kids, just a generational thing. Um, but I remember I used to, uh, one day a week, at a, one of the days of fencing school, I used to go to his office and get a lift home from him. And I'd kind of be sitting waiting for him to give me a lift home. And his, his secretary would say, oh, he did really well at the competition at the weekend. Oh, look, your dad cut this piece out of the paper. He would never say that to me. So, But but yet he was telling other people about it. So that was really interesting. So it kind of, you know, I knew that he was supporting me, but that he he didn't put pressure on me. And, you know, when I remember that Northern Ireland Fencing did a lovely presentation for me when I went to my first Olympics and it was great, but he was kind of slightly embarrassed. And, you know, my mum was, you know, oh, well, you know, be nice to everyone. And you know, my mum, my mum's saying, like, of be nice to everyone you meet because you never know what they're going through. So when I'm trying to ram a piece of metal down somebody's throat on the piste, it kind of probably challenged her. But no, they, they bless them. They've both gone now, but they, they couldn't have been more supportive. I knew they always were there for me, but that it was up to me. I, yeah, they're really, I did a lot of work um, around when I finished fencing. I, I did I competed as a triathlete and I did some work with the Triathlon Ireland, the development role with them. And there was a, there was, we, do a lot, we did a lot of stuff with parents and kids. And there's a great story, a girl called Aileen Reid, who was a world-class triathlete, used to tell about getting up, going swimming, you know, four night, four days a week, sorry, she went swimming at half five in the morning. And we were trying to talk to the parents about what support is and when, when where the line comes, you're actually doing it for the child, but the child needs to do it for himself. And she gave a really good example, which was the, the, her alarm clock went off every morning at five o'clock. If she got out of bed and went woke her parents, they took her training. If the alarm clock went off and she didn't get out of bed, they never came and woke her to take her training. So I just thought that that little, that, that little example was perfect. It was up to her as the young athlete to be focused enough. And she just knocked the door and the parents took her and supported her. But if she didn't choose to do it, they said, fine, that's up to you. That's your, your journey in life. So I, I always take that and use that. 
in talking to parents and, and young fencers I come across. And I think I would add to that people often forget how long it takes to become a top international fencer. And so if you do wrap around all that support to your child during the early phase of their fencing career, they are going to at some point leave home, whether they move to London or they go to university or they start training abroad, they're going to have to do all of that motivating to get themselves up at six in the morning by themselves. They are. And, you know, they, they, I moved to London and I probably was ranked, when I was 18, I was probably ranked 200 and something in Great Britain. And then within five years, I'd made the senior team. Now, while doing that, I was also working full time, you know, they, once I left college. So I, I worked in the music industry, um, used to get up uh, three mornings a week to have a lesson in the old Leon Paul shop up in, in Hoburn climbing those stairs, anybody who's been there, cold, miserable, oh dear. And, you know, the pajama could be there, you'd have a lesson. So that would be at seven in the morning, go to work, um, get into work, work from the music industry, completely mad from half nine, finish at six, then go training from uh, six till nine, and then go home and do it all over again, then fly to Cuba some of the weekend. There was no way I could have done that. Absolutely no way I could have done that without my environment i grew up being one where they were that was normal so again go back to my my grandfather i think as you grow up you inherit uh, a mentality and a skill set without realizing it and if you can find this is what's great about sport is that was the medium for me to to uh, use those skills and i, I think that this is that you know it's it's like with a child you know when your child learns to walk, it's going to fall and it's going to cut its knees. But what that child, when it falls, it will look to you for support. But actually, it, you, you've got to be there to support it. But you also know that it's got to learn to fall in some way. So there's a balance somewhere in all of that between doing enough, but also not doing it for the child. And I, I think I, um, I'm so impressed with the support a lot of the parents give to uh, young our young fencers and it's it's really important but I would say oh also make sure that you're listening and watching as to their development at what point because ultimately you know going right back to the very beginning what attracts me to fencing no matter who's in my team no matter who supported me when I'm out there against the guy at the other end it's me or him and whether you know, if that that is it I can look behind me and I can get advice and get all sorts but that, that's probably why I love our sport so most. I just love that exposure to it's me against the guy at the other end within that environment. And what a fantastic challenge that is to see what sort of a human being we are. Absolutely fantastic, Johnny. And thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that.